You're listening to New Life Washington Podcast. We pray this sermon encourages you and builds up your faith. It's our goal to help you live so that no one misses the grace of God. Enjoy the sermon. We are starting a brand new series this morning. It's called Redefined, Becoming People Who Live the Way of Jesus. And it's something over the last few weeks that we've been talking deeply about and figuring out exactly how we want to package this because um, what we're going to be talking about is the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. All of Scripture is beautiful, but this is one of the most uh, renowned, talked about passages in all of Scripture. And it's that way because Jesus has stepped up and given this beautiful sermon that basically in that day, it turned the world upside down. Because there was religious leaders that thought one way and all of a sudden Jesus is coming on the scene and he's teaching something completely different than the world has ever talked about, than the world has ever seen. And it blew people's minds and it should blow our minds as well. So as we get into this, we're gonna go slowly into it and uh, we're not gonna be able to hit every single verse. So you're gonna have to go back and read some on your own as you go through this. But I think it's important for us to realize and unpack for you what Jesus is talking about here. And I think at the end of the day, if we look at this passage, what he's really trying to communicate is this. And let me do this in an illustrative way for you to remember for the rest of your lives, okay? Um, I want you to imagine that at your house that you just moved into, that you have a lemon tree in the backyard. And uh, at that time, the lemons are not growing and you were excited when the lemons finally start to grow, when that season comes, when those lemons begin to grow and you get to go grab a lemon from the backyard, put it in your water, whatever it is that you like to do with lemons. And, and you're excited about that day when that finally comes. But you notice as that season comes that the lemons aren't growing like they're supposed to, that the lemons that are growing, uh, they're not growing. <laughs> they don't look very nice. They look a little bit gross. And as you look back there, it doesn't seem like there's growing as many lemons as it should. So you start trying to figure out what in the world is the problem here. But rather than fixing the problem, uh, what you do is you begin to look at everybody else's lemon trees around you. And as you look at everybody else's lemon trees, it seems like theirs are really beautiful. They're growing a lot of nice lemons. Theirs are all full. You just decide, hey, I'm just going to go to the store. I'm going to grab some string and I'm gonna start stringing up these lemons that I buy from the store on my tree so that if anybody sees from a distance my lemon tree, they'll know that my lemon tree is just as good as their lemon tree. And so you begin to do all these things to modify your tree, to make it look nice, even though it's not bearing fruit on its own, even though it doesn't look nice on its own, you start trying to make it look nice so that when others look at your tree, they'll think, oh, they've got a nice lemon tree too. And the reality is, is that when we talk about this passage, is that you and I and the Pharisees that he's preaching this to um, have a tendency to modify ourselves, to try to look around and say, you know what, their lemon tree looks better than mine, their lives look better than mine. So let me, rather than fix the root of the issue here, let me start trying to modify my life. Let me start trying to do something to hang some lemons back on my tree so that it could look like others, even though it's false. And, and what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, hey, let's stop hanging lemons on your tree in that way. What I want to do is I want to come in and I want to start talking about the roots. And I want you to go to that tree and I want you to begin to pour health back into it. 
I want you to go and begin to water it. And I want you to go and begin to give it the right nutrients that it needs. And, and start from there rather than trying to do this whole behavior modification stuff. And, and in this passage, Jesus is getting there because let me tell you, you and I, we have a tendency just like the Pharisees to go through the motions. We have a tendency just like the Pharisees to try to make ourselves look good on the outside without anything ever happening on the inside. And Jesus wants to go much deeper than that. And so today's gonna to be more of a conversation as we begin this series about that very thing. Our tendency, right, to rather than fix what's on the inside, to just make on the outside look good. So let's begin to read here in Matthew chapter five, verses one through two, because we're gonna to begin to see here that this is our tendency. And this very first beatitude, it tells us how to operate. It tells us how we should go forward. It says this, it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is the beginning of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are such a beautiful passage of scripture. I want you to go back and read this because this is the only one that we're gonna be spending some time into today. But what this is telling us here, blessed are the poor in spirit, are this. And I wanna I want, I want mention this real quick that before we do get into this, realize that this isn't ordinary. This isn't something that somebody would say, hey, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because what blessed means is it means how fortunate are they? And, and he's saying here, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those, really? That's who's poor, that, that's who's blessed, the poor in spirit. And what he's saying is this. I wanna take you back to a passage in scripture where Jesus is talking about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And he says, these two people, they come in to the synagogue and the Pharisee begins to pray. And he says, when the Pharisee begins to pray, he does it like this. He says, Lord, thank you that I'm not like all of these sinners in here. Thank you that I don't do this and I don't do that. Thank you that I give more than all these people here. Thank you that I don't make mistakes like all these people here. And he's going down the list of things that he's doing right and things that he's, doing, that he's not doing wrong. And let me tell you what he's doing, going back to the lemon tree illustration, is he's hanging his own lemons on the tree. He's making himself look good and feel good about himself. And it says that secondly, the tax collector begins to pray and he kneels down and it says that he begins to beat his chest. And he beats his chest and he prays a different kind of prayer. He prays a prayer like this, Lord, I'm sinful and I need you. And I can't do this on my own. I'm sinful as can be. And he prays this prayer, shouting out his great need for God. And rather than saying, I'm better than so-and-so and I'm better than so-and-so, he says, I'm not better than anybody here and I need you. And at the end of that prayer, what does Jesus say? He says, who left here justified today? The tax collector or the Pharisee? And he says, the tax collector. And you know why he left justified that day? Because he was poor in spirit. He said, Lord, I can't do this without you. Lord, I can't be right without you. 
And, and that's exactly what we try to do so many times. We try to be right without God. And it doesn't matter how right you are, God is not pleased with you if you think you're okay without him. So this tax collector thinks, thinks, Lord, I can't do this without you. I'm sinful and I need you. And that is the position that we all want to be in constantly to realize, right? I've heard it said like this, that we are more sinful than we could ever imagine, but we are more loved than we could ever imagine as well. Isn't that beautiful? That we are more sinful than we could ever imagine, but we are more loved than we could ever imagine. And that shows that. It shows this idea of being broken before the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't do it without you. I need you. And that is the posture and that is the position that we should walk into this series. That we should say, Lord, I don't have all the lemons on the tree and I'm not gonna pretend like I do anymore. I'm not gonna hang them up on my own anymore. I'm just gonna let you begin to work on the roots. I'm gonna let you begin to work on my heart. I'm gonna begin to come before you. And how do we work on the roots? We come before the Lord. We come before the Lord and we ask him to begin to work on the roots, to work from the inside places of our lives and not just fix the outside. We're so, we're so used to in this world, just trying to fix the outside, just trying to look good before others. But God wants to do something much deeper than that. So as we read the, that verse, blessed are the poor in spirit, that is our goal. It is our goal to be poor in spirit, to recognize our salvation comes from Christ and Christ alone. And for me, that was a big issue growing up. Growing up, I thought, man, if I can just do more good than bad, then I'll make it to heaven. But what being poor in spirit does is it tells you, hey, it doesn't matter how good I am, apart from Christ, I can't make it to heaven. If I wanna be saved, it's all because of what Jesus did, not because of what I did. I'm poor in spirit. I'm poor in spirit. I rely on you, Lord, for every single thing in my life. My reliance is on you. And so this verse, as we open up, is a powerful one. And if you go throughout those Beatitudes, what we see again and again is that Jesus is flipping the world upside down. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are those who mourn. Really, Lord? Blessed are those who mourn. But all of these things, they point back to somebody who's in relationship with the Lord. And essentially what he's saying in the Beatitudes is blessed are those who are in relationship with me. Not blessed are those who sin less. Not blessed are those who, um, you know, fill in the blank. Blessed are those like the Pharisees, right, who uh, go and, and give in front of everybody else so that everybody can see them. He doesn't say that. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those. And he's turning the world upside down. You see, another example of this would be like you with your kids and each and every one of us who has kids, who's babysat a kid, has had this moment before where you've had to tell them to say sorry for something. I mean, this is my life right now, okay? I've got a five-year-old, one-year-old. So uh, at first it was telling the five-year-old to apologize to the one-year-old. And now he's at the age where he's walking and he can pull his sister's hair and beat her up already, okay? And he's very good at that. So now it's the other way around. I'm like, Jay, you gotta go say I'm sorry to your sister. And he doesn't understand a word of that at this moment. But when I ask Ellie to do that to Jay, there's some times where this happens, where the words come out of her mouth right, but I could tell that her posture and I could tell that her heart isn't sorry. And that's what I'm talking about. That's what we're so good at, right? We're so good at lip service. 
without the heart. And God wants your heart. He doesn't just want the lip service. He doesn't just want the Sunday morning attendance. He wants your heart. And so there's times in my life where I pray prayers like, Lord, I don't want that. (laughs) I don't want that. And if you want me to want that, then you're going to have to change my heart. Because I'm not in a place right now where I want what you want in that area of my life. And so there's some honest prayers like that that happen. Lord, change my heart. You're the only one who can do that. You're the only one who can make it happen. So would you please do it? And as we begin to have that posture, the poor in spirit, Lord, it's all on you. I'm relying on you. Um, What begins to happen is God begins to pour out on us. And we see this guy, this tax collector, leave that day. It says, justified before the Lord. He knew that he was right with God. And I think what begins to happen as we do that is our tree begins to bear fruit naturally. And suddenly there's lemons on that tree that I was talking about that were never there before. Uh, Lemons that are useful and not just nasty like the other ones. And suddenly you're not having to use this energy of manufacturing and obsessing about trying to look good before others. So now you have more energy to do other things. And the overflow of that gets into what we're talking about very next. And that is in Matthew chapter five, I think begin in verse 11, where it says this, it says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So it's kind of interesting here. It's kind of like, Jesus, why would you go from the Beatitudes to salt and light, the salt and light passage? Why are those two connected? And I think they're connected because Jesus is saying, when you get with me, you're going to be so blessed that the overflow of that is going to be you being salt and light. You being salt and light to those around you. You making a difference in their lives. And you say, Jesse, why is salt and light so important because what Jesus is doing here is he's using an illustration from his day and he's using it to tell them something about how he wants them to live. And in that day, salt was so, so important. Salt was everything to them. In fact, there was people who would get paid by salt. It was everything that they wanted, everything that they needed at times because they would use it as money. They would use it to trade things. But what salt did in that day is it provided flavor Not only did it provide flavor, but it preserved things. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have a refrigerator like you and I to go and look at in every five minutes to see what kind of new snack is going to appear. They didn't have that. What they had was places where they could put their food, cover it in salt so that it would preserve it longer. And so salt was a much needed thing. It preserved things. It made things taste better, of course. We've had these moments where, um, I'll give you an example of this. I had a friend um, who didn't like tacos. Wow, weird, right? Anybody, let me ask, everybody in here love tacos, right? So when I heard that he didn't like tacos, I had to figure out what was going on in his life, right? I mean, what is wrong with you to not like tacos? And so we began to explore this and we made him some tacos. And as he ate our tacos, he said, these are amazing. I love tacos. I'm sorry, I was so wrong. And what ended up happening is that his mom as she was making tacos growing up, didn't use any seasonings. No seasonings, okay? So as he ate tacos, he ate some seasonedless tacos, and he despised those tacos. Anytime tacos were being made, he didn't want that at all. 
And I tell you that story because that's why salt is so important. It provides flavor to things. It provides seasoning to things. It helps things. And so when Jesus says, I want you to be salt and light, he's saying, I want you to provide flavor to this world in a godly way. That when you enter into situations and circumstances in this world that are flavorless, that are broken, that need preservation, that you can show up in that and be salt in those moments. And the way that you do that is the very same way we talked about the tax collector, by kneeling down before the Lord and saying, Lord, I can't do this without you. I can't be a light without you. I can't be salt without you. And then out of the overflow of that comes this moment where you become salt to people in this world and you begin to make a difference like you never thought you could. But he continues on here and he uses light next. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. But secondly, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. So let me tell you, as we read this, what happens in our hearts as American Christians. What happens in our hearts is we say, okay, Jesus wants me to be salt and light. And we go back to behavior modification. Exactly what we talked about not doing before. We go back to saying, okay, Jesus wants me to be salt and light. So I'm going to be it, you know, I'm going to be salt and light. And rather than going to God first and allowing him to do something in here, we start trying to manufacture things in such a way that causes us to try to be salt and light. But when we try to be salt and light apart from God, all that happens is that we become annoying, okay? And that's why in this world, we have a lot of annoying Christians who are pushing people away rather than helping people, rather than being salt and light is because they're trying to be salt and light apart from Christ. And God wants to do something so deeply in your heart that when you encounter people in this world, you're not annoying, you're a blessing. You're a blessing. And that's what happens when you begin to do it right. When you begin to do it and say, you know what, Lord, I'm not going to manufacture this on my own anymore. I'm going to go before your feet and let you do something in here. And out of the overflow of that is going to be me being a blessing to those around me. It has to happen in here before it could ever happen out there. It has to happen in here. And the way that it happens in here is not by you trying to muster up the strength to do it. It comes from you going before the Lord and asking him to do something new in you. So what is the posture you're going to take going forward as we get into this series? Is it going to be this posture of, Lord, let me do better, let me do better, let me do better? Or is it going to be the posture that says, Lord, only you can do better in me. Can you grab a hold of my heart and change it from the inside out? It's a very different posture, but it's one that works so, so much better if you do it that way. If you're like the tax collector who kneels before the Lord and says, Lord, I need you. And as we do that, this world will become a better place because there'll be more of you and I out there who will be shining for the Lord, who will be shining for the Lord from a place of humility, 
from a place of brokenness that says, Lord, I've been broken and I need a savior. And people respond to that. They respond to brokenness. They respond to humility. They respond to grace. And when we are poor in spirit, it allows us to be full of those things as well. So friends, my encouragement to you today is to go back and to begin to think about your relationship with God. Are you just trying to add lemons to your tree on your own? Or are you going to the roots and letting God do something there? Let's go back to the roots. Thanks for listening. For more information about New Life Washington, check out our website at newlifeonline.org. God bless.